his ruling. Well, places like that. And here are people who are coming to Christ, even though they watch as people become martyrs, faithful witnesses, lose their life because of the gospel message. I'm telling you, across the world are people who are willing to do that. And I, while I love, as I said, seeing anyone faithful to the Lord, when someone is faithful in those situations, there's something about that that is instructive for us in the Western world, something that stirs our soul and spirit to see people who are following the Lord even to that sort of difficulty. And some of you are here, maybe your adversity is not the same as those in Iran, but you're facing adversity nonetheless. And it's a, you're in a hard place and in a difficult time. And maybe the season of your life has been just exceptionally difficult. And I want you to know that God knows where you live. He knows where you live. He knows what you're going through. And the Lord says to us through the church of Pergamum, I want you to be faithful right there. Right there. I want you to be faithful in the sorrow or the grief. I want you to be faithful in the pain or the loss. I want you to be faithful in the financial difficulty or the medical issue or the relationship problem that you're facing. Right there, I'm asking you, I'm calling you to be faithful like the church of Pergamum, to hold on to my name and to not deny your faith in me, even though it's difficult and even though it may cost you something, you be faithful. And that's the second principle we learn from the church of Pergamon, and we need to learn this lesson. Beware the danger of false teaching. Beware the danger of false teaching. So go with me to verse 14. So here's the church that has been faithful in this difficult place, but verse 14 says, Jesus said, but I have a few things against you. Even though the Lord deeply appreciates their faithfulness, he's pointing out to them their problem. And the Lord wants us to see through the problem at Pergamum the dangers for us as well. And it really is based on the teaching of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. And while we may not have all the details of what they were teaching or believing or doing, we get a general idea here. So the Bible says, uh, Jesus says, you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Well, let's just note the teaching of, of Balaam. So Balaam, as some of you may know this story, if you read through the Bible, and if you've not read the Bible much yet, I want you to read through the New Testament and read that several times, but I'd like you to then read the whole Bible for yourself and read that many times if the Lord should tarry and give you a, uh, years ahead. Get to know the Bible well, and, and if you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll see a few chapters on the story of Balaam. And Balaam was a sort of a spiritual leader in that area, not really a follower of the Lord, though God would use him as God often uses people who are not following him. God accomplishes his purposes, even with those who aren't doing the right thing or doing it in the right way or for the right reasons. And so uh, Israel is coming through the land of Moab, coming out of slavery and bondage into the promised land. And Moab, this leader, a guy named Balak, is not very happy about having a couple million people stirring through his land. He's worried about them. And so he hires this guy, this sort of holy man, this spiritist, to, uh, to cast a curse upon the people of Israel. But God turns it every time from a curse to a blessing. So every time Balaam ends up pronouncing a blessing instead of a curse. And it's a reminder of God's greater power. But we also see the uh, sort of wickedness of Balaam and Balak. And by the way, Balaam would also encourage 
apparently Balak and others, the Moabite women, to uh, sort of uh, get involved with the men and lead them astray uh, spiritually, and that happened in Israel as well. So let's note a couple of the teachings and the dangers. First is what I'll call the compromise with idolatry. The Bible says here they, they stumble by causing them to meet, eat meat sacrificed to idols. Now Paul has a long section on that and how we can do the we can do this in the right motive, but there's a compromise apparently here in the church at Pergamum with idolatry. And so they've sort of said, idolatry is no big deal, and we can worship God and, or we can follow God, but we can also compromise with the world. By the way, it's not a new thing, right? And it's not an old, it's not an old thing now. It's in our lives today, compromise with them with idolatry is common. We may not have the idols that Pergamum had, but we have our own sorts of idols. And so the people at um, Pergamum did what happens so often. You tend to fall off the horse one side or the other. I'm not a, like an expert on horse riding, but I, but I think if you fall off the horse on one side, you might tend to overcompensate and fall off on the other side. And so perhaps the church at Pergamum was responding to what they saw as legalism. Legalism Technically speaking, legalism is where you believe salvation comes by works. You have to do something to be saved. In fact, even among Christians, where we would say you have to trust Christ as Savior and, and we add whatever it is that you, these things are sort of really necessary as well. And so in response to that, very often the next generation would respond by antinomianism, which is to say, I don't have to obey God. I mean, any rule, I don't have to follow any rules that God may have. And so we fall off the horse on the other side. On one hand, maybe those who really emphasize the holiness of God, but not so much the love of God. And in response comes a generation that says, man, God is love, and we'll just ignore the judgment and the holiness of God and the rules and obedience. And listen, God is love and God is holy. And I don't know, as I said, I don't know a lot about horseback riding. Some of you do. I'm guessing it's not really a good idea to fall off either way. And so if you want to be where God wants you to be, you're going to have to decide, I'm going to obey the Lord and what he wants, and I'm going to have to recognize that God is a God who is holy, and God is a God who is love, and God saves me by his grace, but my salvation, while it's not from works, always leads to works. And so perhaps the church at Pergamum just began to compromise. And we don't have to follow what God says. I mean, if, after all, we're forgiven. God's given us his grace. Why not just do what we want to do? And so they begin to compromise with the world. It's a common story. And the Bible says they compromise in the area of sexuality because the Bible says they commit sexual immorality, verse 14 says. Now, God's plan on sex is really pretty clear. God created sex. He's the author of sex, and he gave it as a gift to a husband and wife within the confines of, Mary, of marriage. It's not complicated, but it is, in our generation, controversial. And God, listen, God doesn't base truth on what people want or feel or like or what's the most popular. God just tells us the truth. And the church of Pergamon perhaps was so influenced by the world that they began to compromise in the area of sexual morality because it's not that popular to teach God's way in every culture. Is that fair to say? It's not always that popular to say this is what God says, this is what God teaches I mean, we'd rather do whatever we think or feel or want or like. or, And so that was the story of the church of Pergamum. The Lord tells us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. 
But we always have this danger. The world's always pushing its thumb against us. And so we have a tendency to begin to look more like the world and act more like the world and think more like the world than God. But God will always care about truth. And so we ought to tell what God says. And we ought to tell uh, what God teaches in his word. And God, because he loves us, tells us the truth. God tells us no because he wants what's best for us, whether we can fully see that or not. And uh, it's not only the teaching of Balaam, but also the Nicolaitans. And we don't know a lot about the Nicolaitans. But the Bible says this in verse 15. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So the Nicolaitans apparently were teaching things that were not right. They were causing people to turn from the truth. They were not basing their beliefs on sound theology. They were not following the sharp, double-edged sword of God's Word. Instead, they were following something else. Maybe what they felt. A lot of people base their lives on what they feel, or what they think, or what the world says, or what they want, or what they like. And God, of course, reminds us to base our beliefs on what He says. In fact, the Bible tells us a couple of areas to beware. Beware false teachers. There will be people who will want to lead us astray. That's why we, are, we always ought to test what is said here against God's word or in any place. What does God say? Not just what does that person say, but what does God teach in his word? And God gives us the opportunity to read the Bible for ourselves and to search God's word and to study and learn. And I am so thankful we have others who can help us on that journey, but we want to beware false teachers. And we want to beware what I call itching ears because it's not just what someone says, but what we want someone to say. Second um, Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says this. The time will come. Now, you, you tell me as you hear this if you think this is the time. The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. I sort of think that sounds like this generation in many ways. We don't want to hear the truth, but God tells us the truth because he cares about us and loves us. And so the danger for the church at Pergamum was they would stop listening to the truth and hearing the truth and following what God said. They would compromise with the culture and what the culture said. And so what does the Lord say to them in verse 16? So repent. That's the only method to deal with sin. Is it? We turn from sin. We don't compromise with sin or redefine sin or say, you know, everyone, this is the way everyone thinks God. We repent. We turn from it. We change direction. We repent of wrong thinking and wrong actions. Otherwise, the Lord says, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. God's word will be the sword. Some of you know who Billy Graham is. Uh, was. He lived, uh, he was a famous evangelist, and some of you maybe, if you're younger, might not have realized how influential he was in our society for a time. So uh, Graham was probably used by the Lord to see as many people come to the Lord as anyone that we could uh, ever name, and he had an interesting experience in the 1940s, really early in his ministry, just before he became sort of famous, really famous in our society, that changed a lot of how he viewed life and he believed was part of why God used him as he did. 
So Graham was in a retreat center in California called the Forest Home Retreat Center. It was a place in the mountains somewhere, and he was there. He spoke some, and he was listening to some others speak, and he had been dealing with a friend who had uh, begun to leave the faith. It would eventually abandon the faith. A guy named Charles Templeton. Templeton had been a friend of his, preacher, and who would, he would compromise with the faith and eventually declare that he was not following the faith at all, though he had some struggles at the end of his life about coming back. So nonetheless, he had questions that Graham couldn't fully answer. There are enough questions in the world. We can't, we don't know. I'll just tell you, we, you can't know everything about everything. And there are some things you can learn more about. And perhaps you'll know more a year from now or 10 years from now than you know now about faith. But there was always, there'll always be some questions that we will struggle to answer well. And Graham was that, felt that way with, in relationship to his friend. And that friend primarily was saying, you can't, you, don't, you can't trust the Bible and you can't build your life on that and you need to change your theology and way of thinking, etc. And so Graham, one night by himself, went out into that mountainous area and he just he had his Bible with him and he just sat the Bible on a stump that was there. And he said, God, I, I, I believe this is your word. It's changed my life. It's changed how I think, and I, I see so much so clearly, but there are things I can't fully understand yet. And I can't always answer the questions of the critics. But I believe this is your word. It saved me. It changed me. I watched it in action. And by faith, I'm going to believe that your word is given to me for a reason. And I'm going to base my life on this and not just my feelings or thoughts or whatever might be popular at the time. And Graham came to believe that was the moment when God really just empowered his ministry from that point forward in a special way, and God used him. And he said what mattered was that I would base my life on what God said and not what man thinks. And I just warn you, I just remind you that there's this danger of us just saying, what does the culture say, or what's popular right now, or what does, you know, what do my friends think, or what do I want or like or think instead of what does God say? I'm telling you, God's word is powerful and it's life changing. And you can build and base your life on God's word. And I want you to find, God's, find out more of what God says and grow more in your understanding of who God is. And not just from the feelings and the emotions of the world, but from the truth of the Lord himself. Now, there's a third principle I want you to get. And that is be certain of God's better path. And God is saying to the church at Pergamum and to us, I've got a better path than the world's way, than the false teaching of the word of the world, rather. And so let's go to verse 17. Jesus said, let anyone who has ears to hear, is that you? Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. He's saying it's not just for Pergamum. This is for anyone who would have ears to hear. Listen to this, he said. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. So the Lord is saying here, I want you to listen carefully because it's not just for the church of Pergamum. It's for all who will hear. It's for the church at O'Fallon. It's for you and me as believers. It's for us to understand, for those who would think about faith or look into the faith. The Lord says, I want you to listen. And to the one who conquers, the Bible tells us that we can be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, that the Lord can forgive us of our sins because Jesus has conquered sin. We can conquer death, not by our ability, but by the Lord's power in us. In salvation, we can conquer our past or whatever it is that would keep you in defeat. 
And the Lord says to the, to the one who conquers, and I think he's speaking here primarily about eternity itself, he's going to give two gifts, and I want us to look at each. The first gift is what he's calling hidden manna. Do you remember manna from the Old Testament? How the people of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, and God did these miracles, and they came out of bondage, and they were, they were in the wilderness for a long period of time, and what in the world, a couple million people, what, what are they going to eat? And the Lord provided manna. Every day they would get up and be like dew on the ground. They could collect the manna and they'd have the, their daily bread. And God provided for them in the miraculous way. And here's the principle the Lord is saying. God will provide. God will provide. Israel must have thought, how will we have enough to eat in this wilderness? God will provide. Maybe you've wondered about how you can trust God, how you can deal with your future. When I was a young man, I, I remember struggling about, really, could I, could I trust God in a couple of areas? I, one was finances. And though I had given all my life, and I've always tithed from the earliest age, I'd always done that, but just to trust God with my finances. And not just what I gave, but just to trust Him with the, the rest of it, really to understand that everything I had was His, not, not mine, and He just got some of it, but it was all His. He was Lord of all. And it was a struggle for me. Can I trust God in that way? And then, and maybe for me, it was even more the second one, to trust God with my future. Because I didn't know what God wanted with my future. And I wanted God to tell me what he wanted, and then I could decide. But instead, God wanted me to just say yes, even though I didn't know what that yes meant. I didn't know what God's direction was. Could I just say, I'm going to trust you with my future? Some of you may feel that same way. Can I trust God? Listen, hidden manna, God has manna for you. And you will see more fully in heaven that God has provided for you. I didn't say he'll make life easy or that you'll never have difficulties. This is a broken, fallen world. But God reminds us that he provides for us. And some of you need that reminder because you can trust God. You can trust God with your needs. Whatever they are right now, you've got some needs, I don't doubt. And God wants you to trust him with those needs. Or you've got some problems. You can trust God with your problems. Even though those problems may be big and difficult. You can trust God in the middle of those problems. And you can trust God with your present right now. This day. And you can trust God with your future. Even though you might not know where that's, what that's going to look like fully. And you might not know all that God has in store for you. But you can trust God with that. And you can trust God with the manna of heaven one day, the provision that he has made for you for eternity itself. And as I, this, as I began to trust God, I found more and more that God is trustworthy. And I can trust him with my life and my future and eternity itself. And that's that gift of manna. But there's a second gift God gives. It's an unusual gift. It's a white stone, the Bible says. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. What an odd gift. Here's what this is saying to us. God knows you. God knows you. I mean, he knows you personally and intimately. He knows everything there is to know about you. The good and the bad and the ugly, God knows it. And he knows you in a way no one else knows you. 
intimately. And there's a name just between you and God that he will give you one day just between you and God because he loves you. Christian, do you realize Christ loves you so much He's giving you forgiveness of sin and everlasting life, even though it cost him his blood on Calvary. That's how much he loves you. And he adopted you into his family. And not just like, you know, you're just one of them. You. If there, were, if there was no one else in all the world, I mean, all the billions of people in our world, yet you matter to God. As though you were the only one. As if you were the only one, you matter to God. Maybe you've felt sort of lonely in this world sometimes or anonymous in this world. Some young guy joined the military and um, you found out you were a cog in a gigantic machine and they just knew your last name and some number about you. But God knew everything there was to know about you. And you went off to some school perhaps and you were one small student and there were all this sea of students all around you, that God knew you. Or you moved to some city and there were people everywhere, but God knew you as though you were the only one. No one else gets your name. No one else gets, no one else gets that. It's you, between you and God. This closeness, this intimacy, this connection. You matter to him. And in heaven, you'll see that fully, that God has a better path for you today, a better plan and a better purpose and a better direction. And maybe you've never, maybe you've never realized how much he loves you, but he does. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, maybe you've never been saved and the Holy Spirit is just reminding you that you're a sinner who needs a Savior. And today I want to ask you to repent of your sin. And place your faith in Christ who lived for you and died for you and rose from the dead for you. Place your trust in him and be saved. Christian, I want to ask you to have ears to hear what God has to say to the church at Pergamum. Because it's not just for them, it's for us. He wants us to recognize that if we're not careful, we can find, he can have things against us because we've, we end up compromising with the world and following the world's way instead of God's way, would you say, God, I want to stay true to your word. I want to be faithful even though I'm facing some difficulties and hard times. I want to be a light in a dark world. I want to recognize your better path. I want to trust that you will provide. And I want to remember that you know me. And Father, I want to thank you for sending us this message long ago, thinking of us when you gave us this word reminding us that you have manna for us one day, a provision, that you have a new name to write on a stone that's only between us and you because we matter so much to you. You love us so closely. So use this, Father, to help us to live out our faith and to be the people you want us to be and to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.